All right, let's uh, let's get into our, our scripture passage today. I'm going to be my own roadie because I do all my own uh, stunts, and I will pull this up here. And uh, we're going to be in in Mar- uh, John chapter 14. If you've got a Bible, I invite you to go ahead and start finding that right now. John chapter 14. We've been in this series for the month of January. We called the house, the house, and we've talked about that that we are. We are the very building products in the temple, the, the house that God is building, and that, that, that we, we've talked about how our life is, is a house, that we lay it on a foundation of hearing and obeying the Word of God. We've, we've, we've talked now about this, um, different ways that this metaphor works its way through Scripture, and today I want to talk about a better house, a house that is to come. Um, back in 2007, uh, when our family moved to Fresno to serve on the staff of a local church, we bought a house. Uh, we wanted to get into a home of our own as quickly as possible, and it was it was 2007, and uh, so prices were kind of high, and we were worried that they were going to go higher yet, so we made sure we bought a house right somewhere near the top of the market in uh, 2007. You know how all that plays out, right? Well, anyway... So we purchased a, a tract home and we had it built to our specifications and and uh, in the meantime managed to rent a home right in the same unfinished subdivision where the house is being built. So uh, it was really fun. We we would head over there, uh, you know, a few times a week and you know the no. I know you're not supposed to like it's a no trespassing, but we forget, it's going to be our house. So yes, we can go in and and uh, it was just fun watching it go up. In fact, I've got a few pictures uh, of that adventure. Uh, here is kind of the, you know, a framed up house. I've got another one here of, of, uh, you know, the back side of the house all, man, it doesn't look like anything like that now. And, um, uh, there's my son Alex. And, uh, I had hair back then. It was great. <laughs> and another one here, Stuart, who's always been a climber. Sorry, Stuart, I probably should have asked you first. And, uh, one more. And then that's when it was done. And, uh, it still looks a lot different than that. Now, but it, that was the whole process of fun, watching this develop, watching this house being built. Well, so we were in this rental house, and the rental was temporary, right? We we weren't too concerned about, about upkeep other than sort of basic maintenance, but one thing that was happening is that the, the sprinklers weren't working. The sprinkler system was broken, or I'd never lived where there's sprinklers in the ground before that was kind of a new experience for me and and uh, so honestly the yard did not look great it kind of brown to be honest and um, it was had already been shut off by the time we got there and and um, so at the time the builder had this quality control guy uh, keeping track of the, the subdivision and, and he came to the door one day introduced himself and said oh, hi um, you know my name's Chris and and I was wondering do you need any help with your sprinklers it's a very nice way of saying, fix your lawn. <laughs> Looks bad. And I, you know, I said, oh, we're, we're fine. We're just here for a few more months. It's, we're, we're okay. No problem. Don't worry about it. Uh, that home was temporary. And, and we had a bigger and a better place to look forward to. And in hindsight, of course, I wish I'd been a better neighbor, a little more courteous and, and gotten that fixed and, and looking good. But, but we were looking forward to our permanent home. I don't know if you realize this, but your residence, your your life on this earth is a temporary residence. It's a temporary home. It's not permanent. You have a better house to look forward to. I don't know if you realize that. A better house to look forward to. And John, Jesus talks about it in John chapter 14. So we're going to start at verse 1. If you have that, I invite you to stand one more time for the reading of God's word this morning.
John chapter 14, starting at verse 1. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, verse 8, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip? And yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me and does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. Let's be seated together. We thank the Lord for his word this morning. So John records this teaching of Jesus as taking place right after the Last Supper. So we've just celebrated communion together this morning, and it's, it's in that context. They're in this upper room. They've, they've gathered. It's a special, special Passover meal. And you can just imagine the tension that's in this gathering. Because things got a little bit weird. Things got a little awkward. Jesus had washed their feet. That was difficult to start with. And then he went on about repeating how you should do this meal again to, to remember me. And then he announced that he'd be betrayed, at which point Judas jumps up and runs out of the room. Just, just think about this. You're like, whoa, what's going on here? And then after that, he, he shared that he'd, he'd be leaving them. So the whole affair is pretty disturbing. And then, then he says, that, oh, oh, and Peter, you're going to betray me before the night is out? Oh, that is an awkward dinner party right there. So yes, Jesus' words in verse 1 make a lot of sense when he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. They were feeling very troubled in that moment. So there's going to be hardship and failure and disappointment and persecution to follow Jesus is going to have some really challenging times, really challenging moments for you. And Jesus promised us to leave the Holy Spirit as his presence with us on earth. But, but he says, don't be afraid. And there's good reason not to be afraid. And it's this. You have a home to look forward to. It's a real, actual location, a place to go. To which every follower of Jesus will go. It's a house. It's God's house. It's a, it's a big house. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. It's got a big, big table with lots and lots of food and a big, big yard where you can play football. If you've been listening to Christian music in the last 20 years, you got that reference. I don't know if you've ever been on vacation. You're going to your hotel and you go to check in and they say, oh, I'm sorry, the room's not ready. Oh, just like, oh, no. 
I guess we'll just sit awkwardly in the lobby while everyone stares at us. And then you, you, you say, we've experienced that. It's just not really fun. It doesn't feel like very good hospitality. But then you get to the room and you're super picky. You think, they better not have just raced through this place. They better have done a good job. So you kind of check in. And... Well, that's not going to happen for the believer who goes to the Father's house. When you leave this world and you go to Him. Four things that verses 2 through 4 tell us about God's house. Four things we can know about His house. First is there's going to be plenty of room. Plenty of room in God's house. Jesus says, verse 2, there's, there's more than enough room. Or literally it says, in my Father's house are many rooms. And it's, it's, it's a nod or it's a comparison to the cultural homes of the time that would be a bit of a, of a compound and you'd have a courtyard and you could add some houses so extra family members, as your kids married, they could move into the next place and, and, and so on. And so you have this sort of more, you know, communal style of living. Many rooms in this house. There's, there's space enough for you. Heaven's not going to be this awkward, crowded place. When Christy said this morning, introducing that song to us, she said, you know, we're going to worship God forever. I guarantee some of you in this room said, I don't really like worshiping now. Am I really going to have to do this forever? Yes. And we're going to talk about this. Why this is such good news for you. If you've really encountered Jesus, trust me, that's the best thing that you could do. It's the best way you could spend your eternity. But it's not going to be crowded. It's not going to be awkward. There's a, there's a little story that's told about this, that, that a guy goes to heaven and Peter's showing him around and, and, uh, he goes through and it turns out there are many rooms in God's house and goes to the first place and, and it's pretty noisy and loud. He goes, Oh, what's going on there? He says, Oh, that's, that's the Pentecostals. Just give him a wave. And so he waves the Pentecostals and goes to the next room. He goes, who's, oh, it's those Presbyterians. They're pretty quiet, but they're nice. Gives them a little wave and goes to the next room and the men and women are sitting separately. He goes, Oh, that's the Mennonites. Uh, Gives them a little wave and goes to the next room. He says, oh, this next room, um, we're just going to quickly sneak by the door. Well, why is that? Well, it's the Baptists. They think they're the only ones here. <laughs> Not a true story. <laughs> so there's going to be plenty of room in God's house. Secondly, there's, it's going to be move-in ready. God's house is going to be move-in ready. See, Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place and when it's ready, I will come and get you. It's a place of resting from labor. The place is going to be ready. You're not going to have to show up there and, and work. You know, that new house I showed you, you, know, you think, oh, it's got a new house. It's completely finished. And there's so much work. Oh, my goodness. Changed all of this and changed that and light fixtures and, and flooring and painted everything and added this. You got to put window coverings up and, and the yard had to be done and put in sprinklers. And, oh, right? It's all done. It's move-in ready. It's a place of rest for you. Third, we know about Jesus, God's house, is that Jesus is going to come get us at the right time. It's going to come get us at the right time. And I know this raises a question like, well, do you go straight to heaven when you die? Or like, what happens in between? And Look, we don't fully understand. We know that to be absent from this body, Paul says, to be present with the Lord. We know that Jesus has, has promised to return, that he's going to come back for us. And you're not going to miss it. Everybody is going to see Jesus coming in the clouds. You are not going to miss it. And you want to be ready for Jesus' return. Because when Jesus returns, that's it. There's no, there's no more time after that. It's Time's up. You want to be ready. 
Because Jesus is going to come get us. The fourth thing we know about God's house is that, that we know how to get there. Jesus says, you know how to get there, guys. It's faith. It's faith in Jesus. It's only faith in Jesus and Jesus only. But that last point was the sticky one for the disciples. And Thomas spoke up. You might have heard about Thomas. He kind of has this reputation for being the skeptic in the room. And he, he just says, hey, wait, 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 wait. Lord, we do not know where you're going. So how could we know how to get there? And it's a key moment in understanding just who Jesus is. See, Jesus doesn't just point the way to God. Jesus isn't, you know, a, a, simply a good example for us to follow. A good moral teacher who, who points out a, a better way to live. A WWJD bracelet, remember those? That's, that's not the solution. Jesus doesn't show the way to God because He is the way to God. John 14, 6, Jesus told him, speaking to Thomas, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Pretty bold claim. This is the big difference between religion and faith. See, religious people look for a method, a system, a, a program, a liturgy. Is that some, some, some way to, to, to follow Something to improve their, their life, to be a better person, to somehow achieve some, some inner peace and maybe be spiritually astute or wise in some way. But in Christ, by faith in Christ, we realize it's not a program, it's not a methodology, it's not a, it's not a, a system. It's only our faith in Jesus that gets us to the Heavenly Father. Only our faith in Jesus. Gets us to the Heavenly Father. He's not a way to God. He is the way to God. And this can be a bit of a trap, even for those of us who know better, because we think, yeah, but if we just have the, if we just get our youth group just right, if we, if we just, you know, if we just get just a wanna, just dialed in just perfectly, right? Or if we, if we just get the music right, or if we, if we just have the perfect Sunday school teacher, what, you know, then we'll really grow spiritually. Then, then it'll happen. Then, then we'll get close to God. Then, then we'll really have a great church if we get our programs just right. And those are wonderful tools. And they can equip us for the works of service. Don't get me wrong. But none of those programs help us if they are not primarily about getting us to Jesus. It has to be about getting us to Jesus. It's not about getting people to the church. It's not about getting people to know more. It's not about getting people to, 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 to be able to memorize it. It's about getting people to Jesus. And all those things are tools that get us there. I'm reminded of what Paul wrote to his friends, the Colossians. And it's recorded in his letter in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. He says this, And now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow Him. Let your roots grow down into Him. And let your lives be built on Him. And then your faith will grow. Strong in the truth you were taught. And you will overflow with thankfulness. It's all about Jesus. Getting your roots into Jesus. Knowing Him personally. So keep following Jesus. Don't don't be content with like a one-time decision you made 
years ago. Get your roots into him. Don't get your roots into traditions, into programs, into this person or that pastor. Man, if we only had, you know, pastor so-and-so here, then we could really be a great church. Oh, if we only, you know, if Brian could preach more like, you know, I don't know, Francis Chan. Then we, or who, you know, like, no, we got to get people to Jesus. But yeah, you've got these confused disciples, poor guys, right? They've, it's after the Last Supper. Judas, Judas has run off. Peter's been told off. Thomas is skeptical, right? And then you got Philip. Philip says, well, Lord, show us the Father and then we'll be satisfied. Just show us the Father, we'll be satisfied. You got to keep in mind that, that Philip was one of the first evangelists, the, one of the first people to tell other people about Jesus in the Gospels. You can read about it in John chapter 1. It's the re- record of the, the calling of the first disciples. And, and it says Jesus went and found Philip in Bethsaida. And, and Philip says, goes to his buddy, Nathaniel. And he says, Nathaniel, we found him. We have found the one, the promised one. We've got him. He's, we've discovered him. So, you know, Philip is... He's a good guy. He's a godly guy. He's an early adopter of the Messiah. Right? And yet he didn't understand that Jesus had more for them. They just weren't grasping it yet. See, Philip wanted to know about God. He, he, he wanted to see God, show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. But Jesus doesn't want you to be satisfied with just knowing about God, just seeing God. Jesus wants you to be fully satisfied in a personal relationship with God. Jesus wants you to be fully satisfied in a personal relationship with your heavenly Father through Jesus Christ the Son. It's not it's not knowing about, it's knowing him personally. I was talking to someone recently who grew up in an adoptive family and now as an adult is is connecting with his birth family, his, his birth mom and and um and uh you know now kind of half siblings and it's just an interesting development in his life. He's, he's finding he isn't, he isn't satisfied now just to know that she's out there. You know, knowing that she's okay. He's not satisfied just to see a picture of her. He's, he's willing to travel across the country to go meet her and develop a personal relationship with her after all these years. And, and, and similarly, Jesus is inviting us into the experience of going way beyond just observing God, knowing about God, even trusting God, into inviting us to know Him, even to do the very work of God as Jesus did, and greater than that. And now this brings us to a point where we might get stuck. Because you might be someone who says, well, I, I, I like Jesus. I think Jesus is cool. I like the stuff Jesus did. I like the things He taught. It makes sense to me. It's, it's challenging, but it's good. I like the idea of my sins being taken away to the cross. I like... The, the notion of Jesus rising from the dead, all that stuff's great. And you say, but I, but I don't get God. I, I don't get the, the Old Testament thing. I don't get the bloodshed and the rules and the, you know, like the, just judgment and just, that's too harsh. I'm good with Jesus, not crazy about God. Okay. I can understand that. This guy wrote a book about, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, William Young is his name. The book is called The Shack. It was a novel. And he, he was really able to put his finger on this tension. He said, it, it, it's like we look at God the Father and Jesus the Son as sort of a good cop, bad cop duo. You know, God's the, God's the bad cop. He, he comes down hard on us and he's all about judgment and I'm going to nail you to the wall for this and, 
and you're going to pay for your sins. And then Jesus, the good cop, and he comes along and says, hey, 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 look, don't, don't worry about him. How about this? You just confess your sins to me and, uh, and I, and I'll, I'll get this worked out. Just, just confess to me and, and we're good. It's not like that. that. That was kind of my perspective, honestly, 10 or 12 years ago. When I read that, I'm like, oh, that's exactly how I feel. It's exactly what I think. But it's a false dichotomy. It's a, it's a split that isn't there. Jesus says this in verses 9 and 10. He says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. In other words, if you like Jesus, you're going to love the Father. The two are one, together with the Holy Spirit. They're, they're inseparable, they're equal, and yet Jesus the Son is fully submitted to his Heavenly Father and does only what God has him do. You like Jesus feeding 5,000? God did that through Jesus. You like Jesus calming the storm? God did that through Jesus. You like Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead? God did that through Jesus. You like Jesus preaching to the multitudes, telling parables? God did that through Jesus. Jesus is saying, I'm doing the works of my Father. That's how it works. And I like all that stuff. So that tells me what the Father's really like. That's what I want to be after. Now, having an eternal to home to look forward to you know, as I hinted, might not be something everyone's interested in. You might think, oh, it just kind of sounds boring. I don't know. I'm not sure really. Do I have to? Like, do I have to go? Well, you have one of two places to go. God has prepared an eternal place of torment for those who don't want to be with Him. God, listen, God is not going to force you to be with Him. He's, he's not like that. If you don't want to be with God, He's like, look, I want you with me, but I'm not going to force you. So there's a place of eternal torment, a place of eternal rest. Hmm. You need to meet Jesus in a life-giving, life-changing way if you're thinking heaven's not that interesting. I married uh, Becky, my wife, in 1992. I guess it's redundant to say I married my wife, obviously. But um, Becky and I got married... 26 and a half years ago, and we moved to the big city and found, I found work as, uh, while well, she was continuing her education. And I was mercifully hired by a carpenter who obviously didn't know better, but was willing to, to teach me the trade, even though I didn't have much experience. And his name was Dave. He was just an outstanding boss. But Dave didn't just work on spec homes. His builders were building these high-end, um, homes for newly immigrating uh, Asian buyers. So I learned my trade by having permission to work slowly and carefully, spare no expense, take all the time you need, do it right, do it with excellence. I tell you, when you get lots of time to do something, you can do it really, really well. It's a great way to have that experience. Now, let me transfer that to your heavenly home to come. Jesus has been preparing a home for you. The one through whom all things were made in six days. You know the Sierras that you love? The Sequoias that you admire? The ocean that you love to stare at? The one who created all those things by his word has been preparing your home for 2,000 years. 2,000 years. You and I cannot even imagine that the detail of the most insignificant portion of that house. It's going to be spectacular. I want to go. At least I want to be ready to go. 
But it's only by faith in Jesus. He's the way, the truth, the life. And no one gets there except by Jesus. Now, let me bring this back to the room where Jesus is gathered with his disciples, this awkward dinner party. And he's sitting there and he's sharing all these things with them and he's not complaining. He's not looking for sympathy for the suffering he's about to endure. He's empowering his disciples to carry on his work. I want to take you to verse 12, which we didn't read before, but we'll read now. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. Friends, I'm convinced that we have satisfied ourselves with with the bare minimum, with comfort and, and programs and Christian busyness, with false idols of religion when we're invited into things much more profound. We're his disciples, his followers, his representatives, his ambassadors. And we're, we're, we've been promised that we would do what he did and greater things. And the apostles did. They baptized thousands. They, they went to other nations. They planted churches. Jesus didn't do any of that. They did the same kinds of miracles Jesus did, but, but more and, and way beyond Israel. They stood before rulers and authorities and, and they proclaimed that Jesus is the living Savior. All because they trusted him, not as a way to God, but as the way to the Father. And it's why as a church, and we've been talking about this all month, it's why as a church that we have this vision that, that we want to become this people who, who, who become a community that follow Jesus radically. Who love people practically. Who share the gospel simply. That's what we want to be about. Because Jesus sent us out to do his work. It's why we have this mission that, that we're creating connections to lead people to a full life in Christ. Your, your relationships with your, your family members, your acquaintances, or your coworkers, or your neighbors, or your, even your enemies. Whether they know Jesus yet or not, as our desire is to lead people to a full relationship, a, a fully alive relationship with Jesus, a full life in Christ. And so that all helps us fulfill our purpose of making Jesus known from here to the world. That's what we're about. I want to finish with just four little takeaways from this passage. Four takeaways. First of all, just a rem- it's a great reminder that Jesus is our salvation. So what does that mean? It means speak the name of Jesus. When you have the opportunity, don't just say things like, well, I gave my life to God. Or I, I believe in, I believe in God. Say, I believe in Jesus. I've surrendered my, I've yielded my life to Jesus Christ. I've put my, I've given my life to God by my faith in Jesus. Mention the name of Jesus. Even the demons believe in God. Put an atheist in the right place and even atheists believe in God. But it's about believing in Jesus. Speak the name of Jesus. There's power in his name. Secondly, be committed to Jesus over programs or any sort of way of doing things that, that might replace Jesus. Sometimes, sometimes the, the very good things we do actually get in the way of someone meeting and encountering Jesus. Be committed to Jesus. All the programs, all the, the things that we do. This is an exciting week. Uh, Awana's restarting on Wednesday and Alpha's starting and, and just lots of youth groups restarting. I mean, all this great stuff's happening. It's awesome. But those are tools to lead people to Jesus. We want to 
go where God would have us go, where Jesus would have us go. We want to do what Jesus would have us do. We want to be who Jesus would have us be. Be committed to Jesus over programs. Thirdly, don't be satisfied with crumbs when a feast is waiting. Don't be satisfied with crumbs when a feast is waiting. Seeing God versus knowing God. It's like I was talking about my experience of, of watching people worship at the well last night. It was so fun. It was just so... It just blessed my heart. I mean, it just built my spirit up to see, wow, look at this. I mean, it's a teeny tiny glimpse of glory, just worshiping together. Don't be satisfied with crumbs when a feast is prepared. And, and fourth little takeaway, I'd say this, prepare yourself for eternity just as Jesus is preparing eternity for you. Prepare yourself for eternity just as Jesus is preparing eternity for you. Don't be so consumed by temporal things that you miss it, that you forget, that you have no treasure stored away in heaven. Build up earthly treasure. Live for for what is to come. I'm going to invite the worship team to, to join me back on stage. We're not going to sing right away, guys. We're going to, one other thing we're going to do. But if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've never yielded to Him, never invited Jesus to forgive your sin and be the Lord of your life, today would be a great day to do that. It's not difficult. Jesus, I believe that you're Son of God, that you died for my sin and you rose again, and I, I yield my life to you now as my Lord and leader for all my days. Something like that in your own words, a, a way of saying, Jesus, I'm all yours. Forgive me and make me right. And for the rest of us, I, I, I would love for us to, to really assess, like, am I about knowing God or just seeing things, seeing God, staying on the edge and getting the bare minimum when God has so much more for you? Will you bow with me in prayer? Lord, we love you. We thank you that you love us. You're so patient with us. Lord, I, I am just so unworthy to even stand here today. Jesus, you are the one who created all things by your word and you've been preparing a place. Some of our, some of our loved ones have got there before us. A little bit jealous, to be honest. God, we want to, we want to long for you. We want to hunger after you. And we want to anticipate what you prepared for us. God, would you stir that in us more and more? And Lord, for the one who's saying, yes, I want to follow Jesus, God, that you give them the courage to, to take that big step of faith with their whole life. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your kindness to us. We thank you that you are the one who leads our church, our desires to follow you. In your name we pray, amen.